Lesson 9 for August 23 to 29, Our Mission. Sabbath afternoon, August 23. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. But Lord, we need to know what our mission is. And as we've read many times before, it's explained in the words that Jesus gave his disciples. But as we study more deeply this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, that what we understand and what we learn will work in our lives to help in the fulfilling of your mission for your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Let's read that again, Matthew twenty four fourteen. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Early in Jesus' ministry, he called Peter and Andrew to be his disciples, which meant that they were to lead others to him. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, he said in Matthew 4.19. Later the Lord appointed twelve disciples, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, Mark 3.14. Christ sent out the twelve apostles and later seventy disciples to evangelize as well. We read about that in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 15. It's also in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 12, but we'll just read Matthew 10, 5 to 15. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you get out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. During the forty days after his resurrection, Christ appeared several times to his disciples. And we read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 8. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that... He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. He placed the responsibility of preaching the gospel in the apostles' hands. And we read that in Acts chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Until the day in which he was taken up, after 
He, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Again and again he entrusted them with the gospel commission. Though none of the gospel writers recorded every word Jesus said, each one set down a few sentences of the Lord's instructions, each account emphasizing a different aspect of the gospel commission and thus providing us with valuable insight into its purpose, methodology and scope. This week, we'll look at the gospel commission as Jesus himself presented it. Sunday, August 24, to be the light of the world. Question. Read Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. What is Jesus saying here to each of us individually and as a church community? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Throughout the Bible, light is intimately associated with God. The Lord is my light, sang David in Psalm 27.1. And John stated that God is light and in him is no darkness at all in 1 John 1.5. God is the source of light. In fact, the first thing he created was light because... Light is indispensable for life. Given the close connection between light and God, Scripture frequently uses light to symbolize truth, knowledge, and godliness. To walk in light means to have a character like God's, as it says in Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, and First John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Light stands for God, darkness for Satan. That's why it is a grievous sin to put darkness for light and light for darkness, as it says in Isaiah 5.20. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is the light of men, the true light which give light to every man. John 1 verses 4 and verse 9. He alone is the light that can illuminate the darkness of a world enshrouded in sin. Through him we may have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. That is, his character. When we accept Christ as our Saviour, we become sons of light, as it reads in John 12 and in 1 Thessalonians 5. But we have no light in ourselves. Like the moon, all we can do is reflect the light that shines upon us. When we let Jesus shine through us, we will not do good works to parade our own virtue, but to lead people to glorify God. From Thoughts for the Mount of Blessing, Ellen White writes on page 41, If Christ is dwelling in the heart, it is impossible to conceal the light of his presence. 
If those who profess to be followers of Christ have no light to give, it is because they have no connection with the source of light. End of quote. Wouldn't it be absurd to light a lamp only to put it under a basket or under a bed, as it says in Mark 4.21? Then why is it that sometimes we do so with Christ's light? A concealed disciple is no more useful than a lamp under a bowl on a dark night. Therefore, as it says in Isaiah 60 verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. So to finish today, light itself is actually invisible. It has to be reflected off of something, otherwise we cannot see it. What spiritual lesson can we draw from this about how, as believers, our light is to be revealed? Monday, August 25, to be witnesses. Jesus' first encounter with the disciples after his resurrection was very important. They were fearful, distressed, discouraged, and perplexed. They had locked the doors of the room out of fear, but Jesus came and stood in their midst. With a clear and warm voice, he said to them, Peace to you. Startled and terrified as they were, it was difficult for them to believe their eyes and ears. Lovingly, the Lord showed them his hands and his feet and explained to them everything the Scripture said about him. That night, his presence and his words transformed them dramatically, dispelling their anxiety and unbelief and filling them with the peace and joy that comes from the certainty of his resurrection. Then Christ began to expound their mission gradually helping them to grasp the significance of their responsibility as witnesses of his death, his resurrection, and his power to forgive sins and to transform lives. As we read in Luke 24, verses 46 to 48, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem." and you are witnesses of these things. They had surely seen him die, but they had also seen him alive again. So they could testify for him that he was the saviour of the world. A witness is someone who has seen an event happen. Anyone can be a witness, provided that he or she has personally watched something. There is no such thing as a second-hand witness. We can testify based only on our own experiences, not on someone else's. As rescued sinners, we have the privilege of telling others what Jesus has done for us. Question. What is the relationship between receiving the Holy Spirit and witnessing for Christ? First of all, we'll look at Luke chapter 24, verses 48 and 49. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria 
and to the end of the earth. And we'll compare that with Isaiah 43, verses 10 and 12. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. And Isaiah 44 verse 8, Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it, you are my witnesses? Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. The book of Acts shows that the believer's testimony could have convincing power only through the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in their hearts. After receiving the Spirit, in Acts 4.33, with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That is, they were able to speak openly and with great power about what they themselves had witnessed and experienced. In a very real sense, our witness about Christ must always include our own experience with Him. And so to finish today, what has been your own personal experience with the Lord? What has God done in your life that you can witness about firsthand to others? Bring your answer to class on Sabbath. Tuesday, August 26, so send I you. John's Gospel also reports Jesus' first encounter with the disciples in the upper room, but mentions other elements not included in Luke's Gospel. Question. According to John, in what way did Jesus define the mission of the believers? John 20, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus had already mentioned this concept a few days earlier, when he prayed in John 17:18, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Sending someone implies that the one who sends has authority over the one who is sent. It also involves a purpose, since one is sent with a mission to fulfil. Jesus was sent by the Father to save the world, in John 3.17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we are sent by Jesus to proclaim salvation through him. Evidently, our commission is a continuation of Christ's work, which consisted of a complete ministry to all people, as we read in Matthew 9.35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He expects us not only to continue what he had initiated, but also to go further. He who believes in me, said the Lord, in John 14:12, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. 
Jesus provided the Holy Spirit to enable the disciples to carry out their mission. At creation, God breathed into Adam the breath of life, Genesis 2.7. Now, Jesus breathed on the disciples the Holy Spirit, in John 20, verse 22. As the breath of life transformed lifeless dust into a living being, so the Holy Spirit transformed fearful and discouraged disciples into powerful living witnesses to continue Jesus' work. The same anointing is indispensable today to fulfill the commission entrusted to us. And so to finish today, Jesus has called you to be a witness. What can you witness about? That is, what have you seen or experienced that you should share with others about Jesus? Wednesday, August 27, to make disciples. After his resurrection, Jesus met with his disciples in Galilee at the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them, Matthew 28, verse 16. Not only the eleven, but also more than 500 followers gathered there to meet the risen Lord. We read about that several days ago in 1 Corinthians fifteen six. The one who had conquered death said to them, in Matthew 28:18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. His power and authority are no longer voluntarily limited as they were during his earthly ministry. Rather, as before the incarnation, his authority includes the whole universe. Based on his unquestionable authority, he entrusts a mission to his followers. According to Matthew's account, in giving the Great Commission, Jesus used four verbs, go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Unfortunately, many Bible versions do not reflect on the fact that, in Greek, the only verb that is imperative is make disciples, while the other three verbs are participles. This means that the emphasis of the sentence is on make disciples, the other three activities being dependent on it. Question. What is the role of going, baptizing and teaching in fulfilling the command to make disciples? Matthew 28 verses 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus' mandate indicates three activities involved in making disciples. The three activities do not need to occur in a particularly sequential order. Rather, they complement each other. While going to different places, eventually to the entire world, we should be teaching everything Jesus taught, baptizing those who accepted him as Saviour and are willing to observe all the things Jesus commanded. We rejoice that somebody is baptized, but baptism is not the end of the story. It is just part of the process of making someone a disciple. 
Our task is to invite people to follow Jesus, which means to believe in him, to obey his teachings, to adopt his way of life, and to invite others to become his disciples too. The word all characterizes this text. Because Jesus has all authority, we have to go to all the nations, teaching them to observe all things pertaining to the gospel, with the assurance that Christ is with us always, literally all the days, to the end of the age. And so to finish today, think about your local church. What is done there to help nurture and disciple new believers? What more can be done? Ask yourself too, what talents do I have that I could use in this important part of fulfilling the Gospel Commission? Thursday, August 28, The Early Explosion With its characteristic conciseness and clarity, the Gospel of Mark presents the commission in one short sentence. In Mark 16.15, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. As in Matthew, the verb go in Greek is a participle that indicates not the task, but the movement needed to fulfill the task. The mission itself is expressed by the Greek word caruso. Given here in the imperative mood, caruso means to proclaim aloud, to announce, to preach. Mark uses this term 14 times more than any other gospel. The church must proclaim the gospel. During Jesus' ministry, the twelve had been sent not to the disciples, but only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, in Matthew 10.6. Now they are sent into all the world and to every creature. The eleven alone could never announce the gospel to the entire world, much less to every creature living in it. A task of such worldwide dimensions requires the participation of the entire church. It is entrusted to all the believers in Jesus in all ages. This includes you and me. Question. Read Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. How do these verses encompass the worldwide mission of the church? Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends for ever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. 
Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Preaching the gospel to every creature, however, doesn't automatically mean that everyone will accept it. Only he who believes and is baptized will be saved, Mark 16.16. We should preach eagerly, hoping that every hearer will yield to the gospel invitation. Nevertheless, we have to be aware that many will not accept the word, as the image of the narrow gate clearly shows in Matthew 7 verses 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Question. What assurance do we have that this worldwide mission can and will be fulfilled? Let's look at Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. There is an encouraging parallelism between Mark 16.15 and the verse we've just read, Matthew 24.14. Mark 16.15 reads, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Both texts refer to the proclamation of the gospel to all the world. While the first passage presents Jesus' commission to preach, the second gives Jesus' promise that the mission will actually be carried out. So to finish today, Christ, as it says in Desire of Ages, page 822, made full provision for the prosecution of the work and took upon himself the responsibility for its success. So long as they, his disciples, obeyed his word and worked in connection with him, they could not fail. And that brings us to the question then that we each need to ask ourselves. How willing are we to be used by him in this crucial work? Friday, August 29. From the book Desire of Ages, page 195, Every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. He who drinks of the living water becomes a fountain of life. The receiver becomes a giver. The grace of Christ in the soul is like a spring in the desert, welling up to refresh all and making those who are ready to perish eager to drink of the water of life. And from page 822, the Saviour's commission to the disciples included all the believers. It includes all believers in Christ to the end of time. It is a fatal mistake to suppose that the work of saving souls depends alone on the ordained minister. All who receive the life of Christ are ordained to work for the salvation of their fellow men. For this work, the church was established, and all who take upon themselves its sacred vows are thereby pledged to be co-workers with Christ. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Not everyone is able to travel the world preaching the gospel. What, though, are ways that each one of us can be involved in the task of spreading the gospel to the world in the context of the three angels' messages? 
to In What Ways Is Your Local Church Continuing Jesus' Ministry in Your Community? How Could You Help to Improve the Church's Missionary Service? 3. Jesus said that the Gospel would go to all the world. For the vast majority of human history since he spoke those words, methods of communication had not changed. 200 years ago, communication wasn't much faster than it was 2,000 years ago, when Jesus gave us the Gospel Commission. Of course, all of that has changed, especially in the last 50 years, in which we have developed methods of communication that are amazing. How can we better learn to use the incredible technology we have been given in order to do the work that we have been promised will be done? And four, in class, based on the question at the end of Monday's lesson, let those who are willing share their own personal experience with Jesus. How can we use our own testimony as a witness to others? Why should we use our own experience? Inside Story our mission story this week comes from Yangon in Myanmar, and it's titled May's New School. May was overwhelmed in her new school. She had classes on topics that she had never studied before, and she didn't know enough English to understand what she was being taught. She hung her head and felt like crying. Her teacher touched her shoulder and asked if she needed help. May nodded, embarrassed. Don't worry, her teacher said softly. I'm here to help you. Tell me what you need. May had never experienced such kindness from a teacher before. Softly she said, I don't understand. The teacher knelt beside her and explained the lesson to her again. May smiled. She understood. May lives in Myanmar. Her father, a Christian, wanted May to learn about God. When he learned about Yangon Adventist School, YAS, not far from where the family lived, he visited the school. It was an older building with crowded classrooms, but the children seemed happy and the teachers cared about their students. He enrolled May at YAS for the coming year. May struggled with the new school curriculum, which was different from her previous school. She didn't know English well enough to understand what her teacher said, and Bible class was entirely new to her. But her teachers helped her and May worked hard to catch up. May liked that in her new school, students worked together to learn new lessons rather than compete for the top ranking in the class. She discovered that learning was fun. May made friends and enjoyed learning new subjects. Two years later, she asked to be baptised and her parents willingly gave their permission. May continued to study and mature. She learned what it means to follow Jesus completely. May completed high school at YAS and enrolled in elementary education at the Seventh-day Adventist College in Myanmar. She's glad to be an Adventist and a member of God's family. But as the only Adventist in her family, May sometimes feels separated from her relatives. I wish we all could worship together with the same faith, she says. I'm so thankful to have had a chance to study in Adventist schools and learn the way of God. Today, May is a tutor, helping other children master their lessons and grow both spiritually and mentally. 
I'm thankful for the opportunity I had to study at Yangon Adventist School, she adds. I thank everyone around the world who gave to the 13th Sabbath offering to help enlarge the school so it can accommodate more students. Your offerings to mission do make a difference, a real difference in the lives of children and adults around the world. Thank you. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.